was lost, the treaty signed, I was not caught across the line, I was not caught, though many tried, I live among you, well disguised, I had to leave my life behind, I dug some graves you'll never find, the stories told with facts and lies. And welcome back to this exclusive Legion Quickie. I am Duncan McLeish, one half of the podcast known as Duncan and Bo Come Correct. I am joined by my colleague, Mr. Bo Ransdell. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. Yes, we I have like, arrived. I like to be Again. assertive. Yeah, well, we're halfway through. We have officially arrived at the halfway point of season two of True Detective. Yes, and uh, it, there are there are reasons I I feel happy about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, we have been doing these shows. This is the fourth week. Um, I advocate that you go and check out the previous episodes because uh, a lot of what we say on this episode is going to relate to things we said in the previous episode. So it just gives you a level grounding to come in on this episode at. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about episode number four of season two of True Detective. This episode was called Down Will Come. Um, it was directed by Jeremy Podeswar. I think that's how you pronounce that name. If it's not, then shoot me. Um, and the quite interesting, actually. Um, th- this guy is the first one out of the, the directors we've had thus far who is like he he is a telly guy he is tv shows that's that's his background and it's all powerhouse tv shows that this guy's been involved with um so he comes from that sort of background um once again nick pizzolato is the the writer of the whole season and this episode and right um let's address the elephant in the room bowl uh i have Get out of here, elephant. <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> Back away, Stampy. That's the name of my elephant, Stampy. Stampy. Yeah, well, yeah. It's a quite a charming name. Yeah, Get the feeling he's quite Stampy, though. Yeah, yeah, you can't keep other pets. No, no, just for, for fear of them being trodden on. Yes, I have a very flat dog that wasn't always that way. <laughs> Stampy's going to break place again. Stampy smash! Right! <laughs> So, elephants aren't only afraid of mice, it turns out pretty much any small animal. <laughs> so, that's science, yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that is science, that's fact. And that's the, sort, that's the sort of fact you will get when you listen to Duncan and Bo Come Correct, which is a podcast on the Legion Podcast Network. You should check it out, just just to just to remind you what we do on that show before we get into True Detective, because um, I'm delaying the inevitable slump and slight feeling of disappointment. Um uh, on Duncan and Bo, correct. Every time we do one of those shows, uh, we pick a genre. Myself and Bo, we pick a movie for the other person that they haven't seen. We watch the movies, we review them on the show, and then we come to the conclusion of who came most correct with their suggestion, i.e. who had the better pick. It's tallied up over 13 episodes, and the winner receives a trophy. Uh, adoration and respect from his colleague. 72 um, virgins. Yeah, and bragging rights at the water cooler at work, which is purely the only reason I do it. So I can say, oh, yeah, I won season one of Duncan and Bo Come Correct, and they go, what? And I'm like, it's a podcast, and they go, 
Of what? Um, All you so, need to know is we're better than the Americans. <laughs> there was the inevitable Scottish impression. By yeah. <laughs> the sunny bastards can't pick movies. That turned into more Schwarzenegger. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> I don't know what it says. Like what would happen if Schwarzenegger was cast in Bruce <laughs> Right. Um, which is a movie I would want to see. Holy shit. Imagine that. Like when they were chopping his head off and they were, they were hanging him, drawing him and courting him. And he's like, I'll be back. And yeah. Fucking, yeah. Anyway, Get to the uh, Robert the Bruce now. <laughs> Put the government down. <laughs> um, so, yeah. uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, True Detective, season mm-hmm. two, episode number four. Now, up to this point, um, some people would say, I have been the eternal optimist. And you were for the first two episodes, but you became a bit of a... Uh, a realist, a pe- I would like yeah, to Yeah, a, a, a Peter Pessimist um, <laughs> in episode number three. Um, and we moved on to episode number four. And I had said at the end of our previous episode that if we look back at how season one of True Detective went, episode four was when shit's got real. Um, and I kind of expected it to go the same way. And it, it did in one aspect... Um, I will argue that the episode probably didn't deserve the end that I had at the episode. I just I, I felt it was unmerited, unmerited and un, unwarranted and unearned, unjustified. Um, but my knee-jerk reaction to watching this episode was that I I not dislike, but I'd not dislike anything of the show. I just felt like this was the one that felt most like. The writing is on the wall. This show is treading water. Um, I've watched it again a second time, and I don't feel as militant in my stance now. I've I've relaxed slightly, but that is not to say that I'm going to be as uh, cheery and happy <laughs> with a pleasant demeanour like I've been on the previous three episodes. Because I think this show has got some issues, and if these issues are not resolved ASAP. Then even if this gives me the, the the greatest ending in TV history, I'm gonna feel like the show's let me down a bit. So um, I, I know this like from speaking to you, this show is continuing a downward trend for you from episode two. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like the end of episode two was kind of the high watermark for me thus far this season. Uh-huh. Um, I certainly have fingers crossed that we reach a pinnacle like that again. Um, but I think starting with the payoff of the end of episode two, which of course was the big cliffhanger, that once you got out of the Lynchian bar scene, mm-hmm. things started to feel like, oh, well, nothing really happened. You know, nothing really changed. There was nothing about what happened in, at the end of episode two that seems to have any lasting impact other than the investigative investigative um sort of like that that aspect of it of like we're learning these old tidbits about this room and you know as as colin farrell said and i think it was episode three about that house uh where he has shot spoilers um (laughs) yeah there's no reason to say spoilers on this show anyway so um yeah i feel like Episode three was a downturn and and made me feel like, like you said earlier, like we were treading water. Mm. And then in this episode, it was it was sort of like if someone had 
had shot an episode of True Detective after hearing my complaints and said, this'll show him. He wants to see treading water. We can tread the wateriest. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, it, my overall impressions of this episode were that we're inching forward in the investigation a little bit, but that's it. I don't, I, I never felt as if we were learning anything that new about any of the characters. Yeah, um, it's, it, it kind of reminds me, like, we've, we've obviously mentioned comparisons to Twin Peaks before. Um, and when you enter the second season of Twin Peaks, the first couple of episodes had a clear agenda of where it went, wanted to go. And then you get a whole sprawl of episodes which don't really go anywhere. Or they, they, they give you stories, like, side side roads to kind of follow whilst only giving you tidbits of the main story just to kind of hook you back in every now and again so you can say, oh yeah, I'm watching Twin Peaks. And that's kind of how I felt here. There is plenty of information divulged about the crime and the case and we do make, you can start making assumptions, which, I mean, I'm not so resolute in my opinion that Taylor Kitsch is a guy that shot uh, Ray now. I'm kind of... I kind of still want, I actually really want that to be the outcome, um, but I'm kind of at this stage now that I'm kind of maybe 75-25, being the percentage of he's probably not the killer um, now, which is uh, kind of niggling at me. But there was plenty of things handled in this episode. What I think the issue is that there's so much going on around the little nuggets of information you're getting that like on second watch, I was like, all oh, right, I never picked up that. All oh, right. That makes more sense. Or, right. you know, like on the second watch, I picked out more, but once again, this is a TV show that's running week on week and not, you should not be in a position where you're a TV show that, that is saying after an episode, well, when you watch it the second time, it'll make more sense because that's not right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not how TV is supposed to be consumed. Um, I mean, the options there, but it's there was a the annoying thing for me, the 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 big annoying thing for me is we stray we're straying too far away. I think overall from the the case that of Casper, like the, the actual Casper case, we get these little hooks that bring us back in every now and again, and then we get dragged into. The, the kind of the, the the quagmire of the characters' personal lives, which once again I've nothing. I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I quite want to know why you know. Uh, I, I want to know why Paul is the way he is. I want to know why Annie is the way she is because there's bits in their past which have been alluded to on previous episodes that I want to know more of. I don't want to know more of them at the the detriment to what this show is actually about, which is about a property deal, which, you know, is is trying to go through, and this central enigma, which is Casper, who is very powerful businessman, but is very shy and recluse, who has a severe sexual deviant side, which he likes to live out, and who has died in a ritualistic way, and he's had his cock blown off with a shotgun. You know, that to me is the bit that I'm like, right, that I want to, I want, at, at the end of the season, we're going to get an answer as to who did that. I just feel like we're taking so long getting there. We've got four episodes left now that at this point, 
I should be at a stage where I should have multiple theories going on in my head, and I have two. And those two are based out of nuggets of information we've been given amongst, you know, Paul's harsh past, now slipping with his ex, and, you know, Colin Farrell having to, to deal with the fact that, you know, he's... You know, he's, he's, he's basically saying goodbye to his son because he thinks he's going to go away. And Annie's background of this kind of... Because there's a really interesting story about women in the workplace with her. It's been like a strong female character, which is something that Nick Pizzolatto was actually kind of heavily drug across the coals in the previous season. I think he's put a lot of attention into her. She is a very strong... I mean, lines that she's mentioned already in this, you know, that you know that, that she can be taken out by 50% of anyone she comes across. That's why she's so heavily armed with knives. Um, even down to the fact that in this episode she's pulled into the office and because of her messy breakup with her her, um, her boyfriend and her, her sleeping partner um, in the previous episode... She's brought in and basically told, you know, he's, he's a subordinate to you, you've slept with him, you've kind of broke the rules, and she basically says, if I was a man, this would not be happening. Um, and she's totally right. She's 100% right. Well, I, I'm not so sure about that, actually. Um, Are you not? I, our, first, our first bone of contention. Um, so, I... I I'm not 100% sure about that because, you know, it's Ray that sort of warns her early on, like, hey, the fact that you and Paul kind of busted up into the mayor's house, yeah. uh, the mayor of Vinci's house, like, you know, that's a guy that, much like the first season of True Detective, comes from old money, is, it, you know, kn- knows a lot of people, has a lot of connections, and yeah. he's probably going to, he's pissed off about it, he's going to make your life hell. And so when Annie gets, you know, kind of raked over the coals by her uh, her boss about the fact that, a complaint has been lodged against her. You know, he makes the point of like, no, you were sleeping with a subordinate. It was reported whether you're male or female, I have to take action. But the other problem I have with all this too, is much like the, um, uh, the Taylor Kitsch character, Paul, we have two characters that in theory are kind of suspended from their job who are working this case, which works for one character. But I'm like, at what point is this investigation just led by people who are, you know, completely out of like they're not allowed in the building where police do work anymore? But isn't isn't that isn't on some level isn't that the the point of the the show is that the three most outcast cops have been put on this case because no one up the top wants it to succeed. They don't want an no one wants an answer to this apart from Frank. Frank is the only one that wants an answer as an outside party and the reason yeah. he wants an answer is because he wants self- his money Frank wants exactly. money exactly so no one no one wants justice here and I think that's I think that's maybe maybe they're quite heavy handed with the fact that they you know they've, they've put her on like administrative leave but she's working the case anyway because she's out the building but I, I, I thought that was basically them just saying listen because of all the three characters thus far Annie's been the one that's been on some level the the most professional, the one that doesn't appear to be, you know, how, why, how, why are they playing her in this yeah. scenario for any other reason than she's a woman? And now the fact that she has pissed off the mayor, the mayor has probably said, you know, she needs to go, something needs to happen. The irony of the situation is the, if the mayor did get involved, all that's done is it's heavily rooted her further into that case, which he doesn't want her involved with. Um, yeah, I, I know where you're coming from, but I, I think it's, 
maybe they could have done it from a different aspect. So you've got the one cop that's on administrative leave. You've got the one cop that's the alcoholic. She could have, she already has like a dark side that we know like to do with gambling and all the rest it could, you know they could have maybe went down a slightly different avenue with that i like the fact that she is quite a a strong sexual character so her comeuppance is basically she's a, a strong sexual woman um and that in this show oh I, I think it's i actually think it's nick pizzolato actually making a point of you have complained about me in the past, so I am giving you almost what you have complained about in your face. Um, and you could argue it's maybe not handled particularly well. Um, I didn't mind it. I didn't. I, I didn't mind it, especially when she's talking to her partner, and then you realise she slept with him as well. And then you're thinking to yourself, who have you not slept with, my dear? Well, it's just two dudes. Yeah, out of the whole police. You were right, right. I mean, you never. You never I was expecting that but... scene from Ace Ventura when everyone starts throwing up into buckets and rubbing themselves while the crying game plays in the background. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just everyone slept with her. Um, so, I mean, that's there's a, I, there was that sort of aspect, which, once again, I think it's just to make you fully aware that these three cops are rejects. These are the outcast cops. Um, so... <sighs> Ray continues his, in this episode, Ray continues his, his descent into his former life. Um, and we get a lot Not of... Not Ray, you're, you're talking about Frank, Not Ray, right? sorry, yeah. Frank, Frank, Frank continues his, uh, his descent into basically his former life as, you know, this, this kind of mob leader. And kind of, we just get a lot of sequences of him showing up at places, shaking them down, uh, whether it's a Turkish cafe. Uh, where he goes in and, you know... I, I, the thing about his character is I would never in a million years think um, I need a mob, a guy to play a mobster, let's cast Colin Farrell. It's funny how much of that dialogue coming out of his mouth feels quite natural. Why um, do you keep saying Colin Farrell? You are Colin Farrell obsessed. Fucking, I'm Colin Farrell obsessed, sorry. You want to uh, make babies with him and kiss I him. I do. He's, he's so dreamy, swoon. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, I would never have thought in a million. I wouldn't think Colin Farrell actually for a a, a mob guy anyway. But um, I, you would never think Vince Vaughn. I don't know why. I just n- I never picture him as that. And it's obviously a career forged on kind of comedy and fucking, you know, that sort of shit. But um, there's something so natural about his dialogue, which at times, like not all the time, but at times, I think. You, you, you really, you're really kind of encapsulating this character and making him your own. And the conversations in the, the Turkish cafe, great example of that. Conversations with him um, at the the hotel, where he's speaking to the guy sold off the hotel to him. And I love that comment at the end where he tells him, you know, go out there and you know cut the fucking grass because there are grass snakes or anything in there. Um, that he is kind of like. He's, he's, a, he's that way that the Mafia like to see themselves portrayed uh, and that, you know, they're, yeah, they're criminals, but they're good criminals. You know, they look after their own and look right, after the code. community. Yeah. yeah, there's a code, yeah, and he seems to be, and he makes that point about, you know, he's like one of the last people that seems to operate with this kind of code. This new generation that's coming up don't have that respect. And his conversations with his, his henchmen, um that's what comes, you know, that's what comes to the phrase, you know, you guys think you you can be in the, the the job for two years and then all of a sudden you're running things. And there's that idea of not paying your dues, um, which I quite like about his character. I, I think, I still think 
Frank is a character that I find interesting. I don't necessarily find his story all that interesting, but he's an interesting character. Um, and Ray Valcoro, uh, played by Colin Farrell, yay! Um, he, once again, is another character which, whenever he's on the screen, he has my 100% attention. Because yep. his character's, go- and his character is going through a more interesting story arc. He's come kind of close to death. He's spoke to the doctor. The doctor's told him, listen, you keep going the way you're going, you're going to die. You know what I mean? It's, it's inevitable. Um, and he's kind of sorting himself out. And even, even the conversation with Frank's character in the bar, which we seem to constantly be coming back to, um, all the time with the woman playing the most drab, depressing music ever. Um, yeah, not the even, bar you want to hang out in. I mean, I understand yeah. that we're dealing with people who are, who are fundamentally damaged. But, you know, throw on a Hall of Notes tune every now and again. It's going to make you feel better. (laughs) So I love the fact that even Frank notices that, you know, prefers dealing with him like this, you know, more level-headed. His head isn't slumped over when he's speaking to him. I I really like his description of uh, of Ray as sober-ish. Yeah, sober. Well, he's, that's the thing he says. I, I like you when you're soberish, and I thought, no, he's sober. And then the camera pans around, and I was like, no, he's drinking beer. All right, well that sobriety lasted long. Um, but he even goes as far as to say, listen, I could use a guy, and I think it's Frank's character has realised that it, there is not one loyal, trustworthy person around him at the moment. Um, even even his his girlfriend or wife invite someone to buy the casino who is an ex-lover who's ba- Frank basically sees as a waste of his time so you get this feeling that he feels that he has no there is no rock there for him to lean against and he looks at Ray at that at that particular time and maybe it's selfishness again and him trying to get what he wants but he extends that all oh, branch of yeah maybe just hang up the police stuff come work for me um and even even Ray says at the time, you know, I'm I, I, you know I'm not muscle, I'm not hard muscle, I don't want to do that. And he's like, no, you're you're smart. He acknowledges that, which that's what I'm wanting from this show. I'm wanting Ray to be the guy that cracks the whole case. You know what I mean? And, and I mean it's so cliche, and of course it's going to end that way. But that's kind of what I want. I want Ray to crack the case because he's going to do it through good, hard, honest police work, Bo. Um I like the sound of that. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I want. But you have these sequences dotted in amongst sequences which seem to go nowhere. So we spend quite a bit of time with Paul again. Um, you know, he's slept with his ex. He's, his bike's disappeared. The media are now all over him uh, to do with this uh, accusation of the, the, the blowjob from the actress. Um, and we get our first proper like situation of him and Ray kind of sitting in the car and Ray directs his, his hangover to a glove compartment which has pretty much everything in it. It has pills, alcohol, um, everything. And Ray is almost giving them like life lessons, which I find hilarious because like Ray is not the sort of guy that should be giving advice to anyone. Uh, you know what I mean? Like at all. You saw what he did to his son's bully's dad um, with a knuckle duster. And <sighs> That se- that sequence, that whole Paul sequence felt overly long to me. And I don't, we know that he's struggling with something in the past and we know that he has these homosexual tendencies that he's trying to repe- repress. We understand that. Do we need to shine a magnifying glass for a 10 minute sequence of an hour show back over that to know that his character's aching and hurting? And I, I just felt like strip that out or condense it down and give me some more about Casper. 
or let's find out why is no one concerned about what happened to Stan? Yeah, all right. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Stan yeah. had his eyes melted out. He was fucking. He was Frank's right hand man, and no one has said anything about this at all. Yeah. No. I mean, Stan is he's fodder. You know. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, one other thing I might point out here, uh, that is kind of an inside joke for us and listeners of, of Duncan and Bo come correct. <laughs> but during the scene where Paul is talking to his girlfriend and she has the, uh, revelation for him of like, Hey, I'm pregnant by the way. But and she makes it the first character that's not impotent. That's true. Uh, well done, Taylor Kitsch, for doing something this season. Um, <laughs> but when she's kind of laying out the, like, you know, I know it's you, it's your baby, that kind of thing, I had a flash to Modern Romance where Albert Brooks is just like, marry me. And that was, as soon as Paul was like, we should get married, I yeah. just started howling. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's the complaint... I've had with this character from episode two, pretty much, which is just, just do something, please. In, mm. Instead of walking around. I mean, yeah, there's some, you know, elements of the investigation that have come up, but he's still the the least interesting character. I really do yeah. hope he's the killer just because it would make me feel like at least something was happening. The uh, irony of the situation is in the last episode, I said, he's got that military training. What we need in some respects, as some sort of action sequence where he earns his due on the show by being this, you know, great shot, all the rest. And we kind of got that action sequence at the end. The irony of the situation is he's a terrible shot. Like, a really fucking bad shot. I'm like, you had one job, Paul. (laughs) Right. I don't want to get too deep into that because I feel like that's the the end of our discussion is talking about the success of that scene. Um, or, or, uh, lack thereof. But, alright, so, to, to talk just a, a bit about the investigation. D- and I want to summarize this for you and our listeners so you can correct me if I'm wrong. Go for it. Alright, so here are the things that we have learned in this episode. So this, this episode had a lot of stuff about the, uh, Casper case. Or at least the people surrounding the Casper case. That yeah, that's, I, it was it, it, people surrounding as opposed to the actual Casper case. Yeah. So we we follow the mayor of Vinci's daughter mm-hmm. and and catch her in a hookah bar. Which now we'd seen her previously in the last. We speculated it was her daughter because she'd shut the door. Yeah, we didn't know for sure. Yeah. Was, yeah, we didn't know who that was. So uh, we we trailer to the hookah bar and and she basically says. My mother is dead. She committed suicide. She was under the care of, uh, what's his name? Bar- uh, Pitler. Yeah, the, Dr. Was, Pitler. Uh, the amazing fucking psychologist, fucking plastic surgeon did from episode two. Right. So, so we, we know that Pitler has this a little too coincidental to be believed association with the mayor of Vinci and his family. Yep. And then we go back to David Morse, who should be on every episode, and in fact should be <laughs> half the episode. He's fucking brilliant. Yeah, he's us. I would love, I would love a show where he he is teamed up with Ray Valcoro 
to solve the case, and you oh. have this down and out, beaten up fucking drunk cop who's on everything, you know, has like the, the, the literally as they're driving along, the mileage of his life is ticking off. And another side, you have, <laughs> you have David Morse's character, who's the epitome of Zen, who's all about cheese and auras, and he's just sitting there and he's like, that is, that is the odd couple I want to see yeah. people. Yeah, you call the show, uh, Groovy and the Man. <laughs> and, uh, Colin Farrell never, is always in the driver's seat. He's never a passenger because, you know, Groovy, David Morse's character, would be too stoned. Yeah, he's cheached out his face. (laughs) You're cheached. And (laughs) I didn't realize that that's how you refer to reefer in your country. Um, I I, I don't. I've just invented it and I'm keeping it. Yeah, I like it quite a bit. So, so, uh, yeah, anyway, aside from our detective show, which is already better than True Detective Season 2, um... So, all right, so we go to Cheech, and and Annie is like, hey, what's up with you and this Pitler guy? And he says, well, yeah, he used to kind of come around mm. back in the, well, it was in the 80s, right? Was yeah, at this particular group that they had at some house or something. I can't remember the name of it. What was it? Him and the mayor and David Morse's characters all know each other from... Like it's not a summer camp, but it's something like that. It's, and he shows them he shows them a photo of some sort of like cult like retreat thing. Yeah, it's uh Chisani's Lodge. Yeah, it's which it, is, Chisani's Lodge. Yeah. Which, which is the mayor's surname. Yes. And uh that guy was the the guy who owned the house was the father of the current mayor of Vinci. Yes, right, yeah, yeah. So that's how they know each other though, which is once again kinda weird. We're getting this at this stage a wee bit coincidental, but very Lynchian, I would argue that it, to me is, or even Chandler actually to an extent, where you get this the big people at the top know each other from some sort of weird mystery. It's the way it's delivered, though, bro, uh, that I have issue with. But continue anyway. Sorry. So David Morse, he knows Pitler from right, way that, back. right. So he has some association with him as well. So now we've tied. You know, Annie's father to the mayor of Vinci to this psychologist and or psychiatrist. And so we're Casper. starting and Casper. By so, impl- yeah, yeah, by implication, Casper. Yeah. So we're seeing sort of this, you know, cabal of, of individuals uh, start to gel a little bit, which is good, which is good. You know, like we said last last week, it, this show needs to start contracting, not expanding, even yeah. though there is some expansion in this episode, too, like with Paul and the baby, because who gives a shit? Um, and, you know, Ray is continuing, you know, his, his sort of march into nobility, which I, I like, I, again, any of the stuff with Colin Farrell or Vince Vaughn, even though the Vince Vaughn stuff also feels like we're, we're just kind of peddling without a chain. And mm-hmm. all it is, is, you know, yes, he's still down on his money. Yes. You know, they're still trying to have a baby, but now maybe he's going to hold that off. And the the one scene with Frank that I really enjoyed was a that when they're in the coffee shop and there's the very brief moment where it opens and he sees a similar coffee stain to the the pair of stains that were on his ceiling, yeah, which, yeah. which brings up the idea of meaninglessness again and and whether things are real, and which I I now have a theory about uh, how this show is going to end and I will share that Ooh. later. But, uh, yeah, all right, so that's the part of the investigation we knew. And also, Paul and, um, what's his name, not Rick, uh, Dix, 
the the other detective. Yeah, the one that took photos of him in the previous. Right. So we have we've been following their investigation of pawn shops a little bit, but you know, basically we we jump in when they have learned, hey, this watch that was taken off Casper is now in this pawn shop. They match it up. They find the guy who was uh, who had pawned it initially. And they go to track him down, which leads to, you know, the big ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll pause there so we can fill in some gaps. But I, I don't, aside from what we've discussed, I'm not sure that there's a ton more that we're missing. No, I don't think so. In terms of, in terms of things to do with Casper, no. So they've set up, basically they've set up some sort of, like you were saying, Cabal with the mayor and uh, Annie's father and this psychologist. Um, it appears all three of them knew who Casper was. Um, and not only did they know who Casper was, but they, all three of them have this connection out with Casper. Um, we have on the other side, we have this idea of what I think is the police steering or people, people in the background manipulating, you could maybe say the mayor or, or whoever, manipulating, or even the company who's, once again, the name escapes me, and it shouldn't. Catalyst. Catalyst. Um, you know, could it be potentially Catalyst? We don't know. Can they steer the investigation down this road of, well, his watch was missing, you know, go and check pawn shops to see if it's been pawned, um, and it just so happens it's been pawned by... Unknown criminal, which is so obviously a red herring, it's unbelievable. Yeah. But you kind of get this feeling that the police want the investigation over. They're at that stage now that they just want everything to go away. Um, and now all of a sudden, this clue comes up which directs them to unknown criminal, and all they have to do is go and speak to that criminal violent criminal, um, and that ends the case. Very similar to like like we were saying before, that the it kind of ties in with a lot of the ideas from season one though, because in season one we think we have our killer, and then it turns out that is not our well he is a killer but he's not the killer we're looking for. Not the right that, killer, yeah. He's not the right killer, and we find it later on, and this is doing exactly the same and almost exactly the same place. Um, it was episode five when all that shit happened, so we're in episode. Four, but it's kind of doing the same thing again. It's, it's set up this idea of, but in this one, it's so obviously the false criminal. You know what I mean? It's so obvious. Yeah. In the previous season, we didn't have that information. In this one, it's so obviously a false criminal. So, yeah, but out with that, have we really progressed the Casper story? Really? Other than tying up some, like you were saying, the, the idea of uh, contracting the, the, you know, this huge sprawling network of potential things. We're contracting it into some people that are being jostled into position as potential suspects. But are we any further closer as, as amateur detectives ourselves, Bo? <clears throat> are we anywhere near close to knowing roughly who the killer is? Because I don't think we are. And I think when you have four hours of TV left, my, my, I, nothing would hurt me more than to have some sort of Scooby-Doo ending where it's a character that we met once at the beginning. Right, right. That worked, that worked That worked. in True Detective Season 1 because the clues were all through the season that that was the killer. I, unless I'm missing something, 
which is possible, unless I'm missing something. I, I, I kind of feel like we're at this stage now that we need to, we need to put like rocket skates on here and shoot along and start fucking like tying up some, why end the episode on that, on that gunfight? Which was, and I'll say as a standalone sequence, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But as the, why end the episode in that when everything before has led to nothing to get you to there, really? Basically, that this whole episode could have been um, the the two cops get sent to the pawn shop, they go to the warehouse. That's basically what like, the other two cops are doing a bit of investigation on the side to try and like dice out or thread out these these other theories. For the show, but I don't think they're doing it. I I genuinely don't think they're doing that part well enough, and it's frustrating as someone who is genuinely wanting this show to be good. And like I say, I don't think it's a bad show at all. And like, I'll give you a percentage of how I rate this show overall um, at the end of this at the end of this episode of recording of what I rate the first four episodes as a whole package, um, and it is quite a high score, but. I found this episode so mind-numbingly frustrating at points that I almost feel that, that giving us that ending is tantamount to giving us uh, a truck almost knocking over Annie in the previous episode and Ray getting shot in the episode before that. It's like the show is now determined to leave us on some huge cliffhanger every episode. Well, season one of True Detective didn't have to do that. And I find that I find it's like it's like when people say sarcasm is the lowest form of wit. I don't agree with that. I'm Scottish. We're all sarcastic here. Um, but I kind of feel like this show has strong writing by a guy who is a good writer that you don't need to do that at the end of your episodes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you completely. I, I think that overall this season has felt like there's almost a conscious attempt, especially at the end of this episode, to parallel some of the things that were so memorable about the first season. Yep. And, and like, you know, the end of season four in season one is the big tracking shot, uh, the one in industry mm-hmm. terms. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, fancy. Um, but the, uh, the, that one are from um, that follows Matthew McConaughey and, you know, all through this battle. But what made that significant, Duncan, I would pose, is that you're dealing with a character who at the beginning of this scene is going into a dangerous situation where he's posing as a biker. He's assuming this undercover identity again and going into a situation where we as the audience aren't a hundred percent certain he's not going to kill somebody, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, like the, the whole deal was like, Hey, I need information. They need him to come with them on some run. So he agrees to do it and blah, blah, blah. And things all, you know, everything goes to hell. So that was all awesome because it was an exciting scene. It was well shot. It was well directed. And th- more importantly than all of that, there were stakes for the character. You know, Mm -hmm. do I know this character as well as I think I do? Is he going to do the right thing? Is he going to try to, is he going to hurt someone or or is he going to save someone? Like all those questions were still bubbling up at that point. And before we truly kind of knew the nature of Russ Cole, even though we, 
we we got glimpses of it, but that was one of the moments where it was a breathlessly exciting scene, but it was anchored by the character and the performance of that character that made it just fascinating. Mm. You know, like you, you cared about the action that was unfolding before you. In I mean, are we gonna are we gonna do it? Should we just talk about the ending of this thing? Yeah, I think I think so because like basically they end up at the warehouse, and right. as soon as they arrive at the warehouse, um, the there, there's a gunman with a automatic weapon, an automatic automatic rifle at a top window who starts laying down some serious fire, and this show then starts doing things which one I never expected, uh, and two. Kinda, kinda jarred me because I wasn't expecting it. So, our 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 weird like useless fucking dickhead Dix cop gets shot in the head, dies. So his character is wiped out, and I'm like that. If we now no longer find out why he was taking photographs, that will piss me off. Yeah, yeah, of course. That will piss me off, right? So, um. So he gets killed off. A lot of cops get killed off. Our three main characters uh, split off, and we get this pursuit of um, of the the the, the, the suspects. Um, and it ends up in a bit of a a gun down battle. What I loved about this is that actual innocent bystanders were mowed down, whether it was by um, SUVs like turning corners sharply and bashing at people or even the police officer a police officer kills a civilian before he's shot because he just misfires you know he's like try to aim he shoots the civilian and he dies and it's all very tense and then we finally get the guy they're after who has a hostage and uh, they put him down they put him down by with quite a few bullets and then we realize that our three main characters are still alive um, it's almost the, like kind of a repeat of the first episode where they're just sort of looking at one another. Yeah, in the exactly. Of all this. Yeah, it's like the, all three of them share that glance of "oh fuck." Um, and the police, the the police are arriving. We can only assume they'd been filmed because there was a film crew on hand. I'm just assuming someone's filmed this. Um, and that's how the episode finishes. And like I see this scene. To me, by itself, I, I enjoyed. I thought it was great. There was a lot of it that reminded me something like uh, End of Watch or Heat. Heat, or like, Heat, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So you know, like, and the and the the greatest pantheons of kind of police action sequences from the movies. That kind of noir esque aspect of something like Heat, or whether it's dealing with that kind of up close, realistic boots to the ground. You can smell the gun oil of of End of Watch, and I. I I liked that. See, I thought that sequence was really cool. I thought it was really ballsy to have just civilians being mowed down and that, you know, the police being incompetent and all. I, I enjoyed that. And the context of the episode, though, doesn't fit. Yeah, and I, I agree. I, I Like I said, I feel like this is a mirror of season one, episode four, where it's like, we're going to go out with a bang. And... It does like all, all the things. Like if you showed me this scene and I didn't know anything about season two of True Detective, and you showed me this scene and you're like, "This is this is the big season four scene," I would be yeah. like, "I would be like, let's do this. That yeah. that looks cool." And it does. It's it's well shot. It's well directed. All that stuff. Um, but unlike season four, episode one, um, 
I don't feel like I there were stakes for the character other than not getting killed or the characters. Yeah. You know, it like there was no one shouting out like don't let uh what was his name Lido I think is the criminal's name. Yeah, yeah. The the suspect uh from the pawn shop. I so I don't feel like there's this giant effort like we've got to take him alive. We've got to get an answer to this. And I feel like if you had had that layered on top of the action that was happening, it would have made it more interesting. And it also would have made them having to shoot him at the end more significant. Yeah. Um, instead, it's just, it's sort of like, here's the thing that happens, you know, and that's kind of what the whole season has felt like a lot of times. And, and like I said, the, the, the end of, uh, season or episode two going into episode three, there was that moment of like, buckle in, boys. True detective is started, you know? Yeah. And the payoff of that was disappointing because it just felt like, oh, well, here's a thing that happened. And if you could, if you could see the hand motions I'm making, it is as though I'm laying a sack of potatoes on a table. Yeah, it's, it's very, it's went from the prospect of being something very deep uh, to something being very surface. And you know, if everything is very surface material, there's, there's this, there's this implication of depth that they're, for some reason, they're reluctant to push into. And that's what gave season one so much the, the the reason that the end of episode four and season one works is that we have to we follow Russ character going from you know I am a cop I, I may have fallen off the wagon but I'm you know I'm I'm genuinely trying to 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 do the right thing and be the man that I can be to right I need to put fake needle marks on me I need to snort up some cocaine i need to like drink a lot of alcohol things are going to get dark here is my case full of guns you know and we're going to do this i'm going to join back up with this neo-nazi biker gang um i'm going to you know go into the projects i'm going to rob this house i'm going to pull out all the stops i'm going to drag them with a one track shot or a one uh, over over the over the wall put them in the car cut fucking credits you have traveled you've traveled the distance with that character in that one episode and this episode there's a couple of scenes of them investigating. There's a couple of scenes of the other two cops investigating. There's some conversations uh, with the police telling them what to do. And then all of a sudden we're being shot at. The the guy that they're trying to take away live is now dead. Camera looks at some blank faces. Cut to credits. Um, it doesn't work. It, do, it, do, it doesn't work. And like I say, if you, take the, if you pull out individual aspects of the episode, it's very well acted. Um, some, some of the, 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 the actual set pieces and camera work... Phenomenal in this episode. Um, once again, soundtrack for the most part scoring great. Um, cohesively taken us in a story which lives up to the name of True Detective, not so much. Um, and it, it, I, I'm, I'm at this point now where um, I'm kind of I'm kind of resigning myself to the fact the show teases so much. And I'm kind of at the stage now that I'm starting to dip over that line of being optimistic to moving into that slight pessimism that answers to things that I want won't happen. You do not tease a character who has seven knives on her and in a a position where she may have to use the knives against an armed man for that man to be shot and she's not used her knives. Right. The one thing I want in this, and if they do not give me it, Bo... Fuck television for the rest of the life. If she does not go fucking Wolverine on someone when knives coming at everywhere and she's just flying knives about and stabbing the shit out of someone, that will be the biggest letdown in TV history. Because 
how much have they teased that? They mentioned that she carries all those knives. They went through the full thing. She's in a position where she can finally use them. We don't get it. Yeah, well, she, she's out of bullets. Yeah, it was kind of a, a real tease because she's out of bullets. She goes for a knife. She's ready for it. And then yeah. sack yeah, of Paul, potatoes. Yeah, Paul, Paul, Paul saves the day. And yeah, maybe that is the But who cares? Oh, God, who exactly. cares about Paul? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but, but the thing is, when she pulled that knife out of her, out, out of her boot, I was like, like the hairs in the back of my neck stood up. I was like, oh, yeah. This is what we need right now. We need someone getting a knife in their jugular 17 times. That's what I want to see. She takes a gun off him, uses him as a human shield, puts down three guys, and walks out of there like a boss. Um, you know, we, we, we don't get that. And, like I say, I, I don't, I, I'm feeling, I feel like I'm being very critical in this episode. I am not in the greater camp of people that are shitting on the show. I still, th- I, it's got me. It's, I told you, as soon as the crow head come out, this show has me to the end, right? This has, it has, that one shot has garnished the goodwill for me to watch the six episodes that come after it. Right. Um, I'm just, I'm now at that stage now that I'm thinking how much of this show is red herring and how much of it, you know, I'm paying it. I've trained myself in such a position and the show did it through the last, the last season. I've trained myself in such a position that I think everything that happens in the show is there for a reason and a purpose. It's like watching Kubrick's The Shining. Um, you know, every single aspect is there for a reason and is there for a purpose. And I'm now starting to think that some of it's just background. And um, I kinda, I, if that is the case, I kind of feel a bit disappointed because that's what season one did better than any television show I've ever seen. Where everything, every conversation, off the cuff remark or everything was for the greater good of the story it tied in it made sense it carried it through when we finally found out who that killer was you were like ah and you like you could link it back logically through all the steps right and, and it was of, thematically resonant because that's what the entire series had been about was yes. what kind of culture can produce this individual exactly i'm now thinking in this season that that is not how it's going to go. And I kind of think that I need to get my head over that, that it's not going to have the... It, it, it flirts with these esoteric and, you know, dreamlike states in the first couple of episodes. It hasn't really done any of... It didn't do any of that in episode four at all. Yeah, yeah. It, it, like, at least in three, you got, you know, that opening scene, which was really fun and weird. And, yeah. and maybe that's my big complaint is there's not enough weirdness in, in this season. I, yeah. You know, and the stuff that is a little goofy, like, you know, kind of poking fun at Los Angeles with the, or California in general, maybe with the, you know, the kind of hippy dippy father that's running a cult on his ranch and, you know, the uh, psychologist or psychiatrist that has way too much plastic surgery. And... Yeah, yeah. A, psych- a psychiatrist who is there to make you feel better about yourself, who works in a plastic surgeon's office, which is basically there to, to, to make you feel bad about yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, the, 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 the kind of juxtaposition of that is, is incredible. And we, we get these glimpses of weirdness. And I want to hook on to them with my hands and hold on to them and drag them through every episode because those are the bits that those are the bits I'm watching the show for. Yeah, I'm, I'm watching it for, for just for it to be different and it's... I Yeah, I wish any of the characters were as interested in that part of the story as I am. 
Yeah. You know, like, where's where's my Russ Cole? Not a carbon copy, but where's that sense of, you know, I'm interested, even as Russ Cole was, as, like, this objective interest where he didn't feel like he was part of humanity and just witnessed yeah. it. But where's the, you know, like, where's the conversation where they talk about how fucking weird the, uh, you know, uh, Pitler's faces and stuff? Like, it's all, yeah. it all just feels like... Again, just things that are happening. Let's let's move it along. We're not really going anywhere with any sense of urgency. And then when big set piece stuff happens, like Colin Farrell getting shot at the end of episode two or the gunfight here, at least with the end of episode two, you you felt an emotional punch because here was a character that seemed to be starting to climb out of the gutter he was in and then get shot for his troubles. And that's some true detective shit right there. It almost, it almost feels like the end sequences to each episode are there, so that's what you'll be talking about the next day and forgetting about everything else in the episode. You know what I mean? It kind of feels like, you know, we can do whatever we want in this episode, we can drag it along because everyone's going to be talking about that 15 minute gun sequence at the end of the episode, um, the following day. And I kind of feel like that's a bit of a cheat. Um, I kind of want to be, I, I, what I want to be doing is sitting, and, and having a conversation with you, Bo, where we are mentally scaping out this, you know, these red lines that we're talking about, these red strings between photographs and case files on the desk. I, that That's what I want. I want to be sitting here coming up with, with concise theories as to who has won the killer, uh, what the whole deal with Casper was. And these are the things that are, that is what I want. And it can go as weird as it wants with that. It can go into creepy masks and fucking potential, you know, cultish behaviour and, you know, groups of elite people that are, you know, you know, manipulating people for sport or whatever. It can go wherever it wants with that. But fundamentally, I want, you know, that that's the, the, the thing I want is the, the, the challenge of trying to work out who it is. And I get... I'm, I, I just don't, that's not, I finished episode, I finished episode four, and unlike any of the other episodes, the first time I watched it anyway, I finished it and I went, huh. And right. I yeah. yeah. I was, I was just like, what have, what actually have we progressed here? And we've progressed very little, and this show was on for an hour. Um, I watched it the second time, and like I say, the second time I watched it, I, I was pulling out more information. Which, yeah, it does start to help me start to kind of put for, forward these these ideas of where I think we might be going with it. But they're so vague. After four hours of TV, I shouldn't be thinking like that. Um, and I mean, but the show, once again, it has it had great sequences, great scenes with with Frank and his his his, um, his wife. It had that really kind of heartwarming sequence with Ray and his son not son uh, where he was handing him his father's badge and telling yeah. him you know remember where you come from um and you know th- there's sequences like that in this and i'm like that that's powerful television i love that shit and yeah i, I don't the show to me is suffering major identity crises in this episode especially i think it was maybe in the previous episodes but i could forgive that because it's early episodes it's trying to set a path in which is going to tread for the rest of the season season four felt like it doesn't i does this show kind of is struggling with what it is exactly it's wanting to do and once again we might finish episode eight and sit back down and go through all eight of these episodes and go, 
Nick Pizzolatto is an absolute genius. Once again, he's thre- threaded this really weird story which doesn't make sense until you see the ending. Like watching Memento, you watch Memento for the first time, and um, you're watching it through, and you're like, right, I'm right. So we're seeing ten minutes before, and that person was good, and now that person's bad, and you know you keep jumping that way. But when you see how that ends, the actual end, which is technically the beginning because it's shot reverse chronological. That, that, all of a sudden you're like, oh, fuck. So the next time you watch it, completely different viewing experience. Completely different viewing experience. Unless Nick Pizzolatto has done some fucking amazing writing as a through thread here that I can't see yet, you can't see yet, and apparently quite a lot of people can't see yet. Um, I'm, I'm kind of feeling that I'm slowly starting to head towards this kind of negative vibe of the season overall. It's not... I don't want to hate this show. I want to love this show. It's True Detective. It is the show last year that, to me, set the benchmark for everything. I know other shows finished and people were breaking bad and all the rest of that. True Detective, for me, stole last year. What is it stole last year? And... Neither one of us, we said right at the first episode, right at the beginning, neither one of us expects this show to top season one of True Detective. If you went into this show thinking it was going to top season one of True Detective, then you were a fool. Um, but I'm kind of getting this vibe that maybe season one is a fluke. Or or maybe Kerry Fukunaga had a whole lot more to do with how good that show was than maybe Maybe people- less is more. You know what I mean? Maybe less is more. Maybe that season works because you have time to sit with two characters and we spend all our time with two characters. Um, maybe that's how it works. Maybe giving us three characters and all trying to make them equally as damaged in their own different ways and then giving us a mob boss that we have to follow around with, who I genuinely feel sorry for, even though he's like a reprehensible character. I feel sorry for. But in the middle of that, we're also going to throw in this mystery. We're also going to throw in this idea of you know corrupt police officers and at the top and all the rest. Maybe it's just too busy. Maybe this show is... Maybe there's too much going on. There's a reason The Wire had fucking 13 episodes per season or whatever it was. It's because there's so much stuff happening in that show you need time to pace it out. And I I get the feeling that this show is pacing things out when it doesn't have the luxury of the time to do it. We have four episodes left. I'm not confident that I'm going to get... At the moment, now episode five might change everything and next week we might be sitting here praising (laughs) this show. And that's what I want to be in. But I get this feeling that next week I'm going to be in a position where I'm like that. I actually kind of hate this show a wee bit more now. Um, I don't, I don't want that. I, I, I was saying about overall scores. For me, this, uh, you might, you're going to call me insane right now. I know, I can feel it. A, a bow. It wouldn't be the old. first time or the last. Yeah, but go ahead. Um, overall rating for me on this show thus far after the first four episodes, seventy-five percent out of hundred. Um, there's plenty to keep me interested. There's plenty to pull me in. There's, it's starting to dip for me a bit now, but for the most part, like I said, like I, I would mark it up there comfortably at 75% uh, enjoyment for me overall. The big dips coming in this episode, had it been last week, I probably would have been about 85. Um, but that's worrying. You know what I mean? If the next episode takes a dip like that again, we're down about 50% enjoyment. If it drops again, you know what I mean? It's getting to yeah, the point where yeah. I shouldn't be thinking. There's no other show that I can think of in memory that I have watched where I've been so, and I know I'm doing it before this year, where I've been so 
blatantly critical. You know, like sitting down blatantly studying every single aspect with a critical eye. Um, as much as I'm doing with this show. And yeah, we're doing it because we're doing a podcast, but I feel it's because that first season. Right, it begs you to do is, it. Yeah. yeah, it does. It's almost, if anything, that, that maybe, maybe on some level, season two is, is doing, is, isn't scoring as high for me because season one is so much better. I mean, that's part of it, but I, I think we've been fair enough and, you know, listeners, let us know. Just tweet to us at, at Legion Podcasts uh, if you've got complaints about this statement or any statement we've made. But I, I feel like we've been fair in our handling of this season. I think we pointed out the stuff that's good when it's good. But, yeah, I mean, I think as the season's gone on, it's harder and harder not to say that it's not just a step down from season one. We've got to start talking now about whether it's just a good show or not. Yeah. Uh, and and right now, I'm kind of in the same park you are. I think 75 might be a little bit high for me, but not excessively. So mm-hmm. I don't think that's a crazy score because I can, you know, we're halfway through it. We don't know what the end is yet. It, it's hard to say. But I would probably come in around 70-ish uh, if I were scoring it. Mm-hmm. But uh, but Duncan, yes, would you hear to hear? Uh, would do the yeah, yes, yes, ref, ref, Oh my God, we're in the red room. <laughs> right, if only. Um, would you care to hear my crazy pants theory about who the killer is? Uh, yes, I would, and I I I think I already know. All right, so my Crazy Pants theory is that, uh, by the way, Crazy Pants trademark, um, theory is that Vince Vaughn is our killer. And I, I got the feeling you were going to say that when you said that there was the, the, the coffee marks, the stain. Yeah, I feel like there has been enough hints about duality because, you know, it's two. Uh, two stains he's seen. It's not just a big stain. Um, mm-hmm. The ideas of unreality and maybe this isn't the real life he's experiencing. Maybe some things are real, some things are not. Maybe he's a kooka bird. Um, again, technical. But, uh, yeah, I, I think right now that given the information the show has handed us, if it is not a Scooby-Doo-style ending where it's like, oh, my God, it's Farmer McGreevy, and he was wearing the crow mask the entire time. Um <laughs> If it's not that, it makes sense. And also, from a dramatic point of view, it makes sense for Ray to have to rise up against this character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, that's the, you know, I'm still, UFOs still tickling in the back of my brain. I haven't given up on that totally. Um, Looking less and less likely, sadly. (laughs) I mean, there is a degree of logic to that. Um... I don't know. I didn't think that bird killer was that tall, and Vince Vaughn's tall. Did yeah, I just throw a spanner? I mean, no, like, no, when no, he was no. standing I mean, over him, he didn't look. He didn't look huge. He didn't look like a guy that was over six foot. Right. Um, right. But I mean, so, that can be angle or light. I mean, there are. Yeah, oh yeah. Of, oh god. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, then and then he sets a car on fire wearing the mask, and then he runs like a gazelle jumping over things and then over hedges and that. Once again, I don't see. Right, but Vince what if, doing, but that could be one of his henchmen. Right, that could have been that Stan? could easily. That could no, have been Stan. Stan. No, wait, Stan was dead by then, right? 
Stan died. Yeah, Stan was dead okay. by then. But it could it could be one of his henchmen. Sure. It could be sure. it could be a, a almost a a kind of Fight Club esque scenario where his second personality is ordering certain men within that's, his organization to do things. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, but again, I have nothing to back this up other than this fits. This theory fits the pieces that I have in front of me right now. Yeah. And if we find out, if we find out that, if we find out somewhere down the road here that Frank has seen that psychologist, then I think it's almost inevitable that'll be the end. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that that's the ending I would choose or that mm-hmm. I would be most happy with, but I think it's the one that fits the evidence we have. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, I'm kind of moving away from Paul now. I was, I was convinced even in the, the, the third episode, you know, it's Paul. Um, but I'm now kind of getting into that 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 stage of it doesn't make any sense to me at all. It kind of made sense to me when I thought, and it was a theory that I'd read online actually, and I just started joining dots beyond it that uh, Paul had possibly been sexually abused um, as a kid. His mother had maybe put him out. As a rent boy, that's why he has these adverse reactions to rent boys, and maybe somehow in the circle that he has been involved with, he came across Casper, didn't like what he saw, um, or you know has decided that he's going to take down this group of of highfalutin officials who appear to be above the law and uh, abusing. You know, it could very well be that these three characters um, at the the mayor's cabin. Um, did something which adversely affected Paul, and Paul is now seeking revenge. Um, and at first I thought that was a great scenario, and it's still there's still elements here which make me think that it could be. But in the grand scheme of things, he's this episode made him so less likely to be the killer for me. Um, that I I don't know now. I don't know. I, to be honest with you, I I would be happy with Vince Vaughn being the you know the, the the villain at the end, as long as he doesn't reenact the sequence from Psycho at the end, and we hear his mother's voice in his head, "I want her to fly." Then I will I will get angry, but I will I will fucking blow shit up. <laughs> yeah. What What if uh, instead of it, his mother's voice, it's Kelly Riley's voice? <laughs> I want a baby. <laughs> you you can't give me a baby. What happens if she doesn't exist? <laughs> I think that is. A possibility, and you know, but that would restore some of the weirdness to the show that I appreciate. But I also don't like the fact that if that's where you're going to go with it, that you're hiding all the other weirdness from me. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I, uh, I agree with that. I would, I would, I, yeah. I think, I think what might come out. Once again, just pure speculation. It's like, like I said, there's obviously there'd been that big deal about the fact that when they were in the psychologists house or office sorry that there was a painting in the background of what appeared to be a man wearing a bird head that maybe he is part of some sort of almost starry eyes well some sort of fraternal organization in hollywood which is made up of the mayor and people in the film industry and people in the police and people you know psychiatrists and doctors and all the rest and they're all involved with some group and a ritual sacrifice but then why take out casper i don't know like see every time i think i can join the dots i come back to this casper's the one that's died 
Right, had to be killed for a reason, and and to go with the Vince Vaughn theory, if he if Vince Vaughn had found out that Casper had misappropriated it's the money, already. right, yeah. then Vince Vaughn, that's every reason for Vince Vaughn to flip the switch on Kookaburg, Vince Vaughn. Yeah, yeah, and, and he's almost and, he's almost going through the motions now of trying to divert attention in the eyes of everyone by returning to crime, going down that road, even if he's aware of the murder. He might not. If it's another part of his brain, maybe he's not aware of the murder. So he's almost, like you say, that duality um, kind of running. I don't know. I, I mean, to me, episode... I said last week that episode four was pivotal for me. Um, it's funny. I'm going to basically defer it a week. See, episode five is pivotal for me. Episode five is where... Episode six is pivotal for me, as is seven and eight. I I think episode to me episode five was the in the previous season. Not that I want to keep going back to that. Episode five in the previous season was the gun down of the 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 character in the gas mask, um, which was a fascinating thing. It's a great episode. Yeah, but basically they set up the, the the premise of what basically leads to to Cole and Marty falling out, um. And I, I like, I like that. Um, that to me, the next episode, there's no way these three cops are on this case at the end of the next episode. They're off the case, right? They have to be because the killer's dead. As seen from the yeah, case. The logical right. killer. Yeah. Because now that Leto or Leto or whatever his name is, that now that he's dead, there was going to, yeah, there, there would be the, a push by the higher ups to say like, Oh, here's the guy who killed him. We have evidence. You put him down. The case is closed. Yeah. So let's say we jump forward in time, Bo, and the next episode. And the something... year is 2173. And everyone has <laughs> jetpacks. <laughs> I'm with you so far. Go ahead. I like this. Yeah, right. So, so, so we jump forward in time, and something happens very similar to season one, some sort of ritualistic killing of sorts happen, and that's what brings our cops back into the fray. Paul can sit this one out, he's a dad now. Um, but, um, you know, something something happens. I don't think we can go straight into the aftermath of what happened, and then oh, we're going to continue investigating the case, because the evidence has been stacked up in such a way that that's not going to happen. They're going to have to investigate this very much like uh, Cole did and Marty did on their own terms and in their own time. So that's how I see it playing off in the next episode. And to me, that is the perfect opportunity to start dropping truth bombs in that episode and really starting to to give us a more kind of clear idea of where we are going. This is the first episode that didn't have the masked man um, at all in it. So episode one, we saw him driving a car, although we didn't see his face, we saw the mask. Episode two, we saw him put down Ray. Episode three, we saw him burn the car, run away. Episode four, we didn't get any of that. So that has to return in episode five in some sort of scenario. Uh, but yeah, I think episode five for me is pivotal. I think, uh, to me, episode five needs to basically reboot this, the, the last four episodes and put it on a course where, where I feel that things are going in a, a better direction than what episode four did. Maybe recast Andrew Garfield in the role of Taylor Kitsch. I mean, re- really reboot it. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I, I, I think 
I think it has to do something now. It has to do something radical, and a gunfight isn't isn't what I'm looking for. It has to do something radical now to basically grab my attention by the scruff of the neck and 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 shake me back into this is the second series of a TV show, which is arguably the best TV show ever made. So watch it. Um, and I think I, 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 I'm still not in a position where I, I feel like they, they can't turn it around. They, I, I will always have my gripes with the things I've seen unless they're answered sufficiently at the end of the season. Um, I'm always going to have those gripes, but like I say, if if they if they come out with four really really good, incredible solid episodes to finish off this season, I'm going to be over them in. If it meanders through episode five and episode six, and then picks up episode seven and eight, I'm not going to be happy about that. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I, I, you know, hope springs eternal. I, I do not uh, uh, enjoy piling on um, if a show is not good. I don't think this show is bad. I think a lot of people are overstating. Oh, yeah, some people are some people are dismantling this show in a way which I think is unfair. I mean, we mentioned the previous season quite a lot just because that's the only other season. That, it's the only show we can compare True Detective to is True Detective because there's never been a show that has done what that first season did. But at the same time, there are people tearing into this, you know, like um, wooden dialogue, you know, it's like unrealistic, and I'm like, we're watching a different program, because I think the dialogue is actually quite interesting, especially when they do go off into that kind of, the more deep meaningful, kind of, I like to call it diet coal, um, (laughs) uh, kind of conversations that they have in the show, those are infinitely fascinating, and the actors, for the most part, the ones I've cast are brilliant on screen, um, and I, I connect with certain ones. So to say that they're wooden, uh, which is what a lot of reviews are coming back with, I don't get that. I, I feel like we're watching two different shows. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I feel a bit dim. Uh, I feel a bit dim. I feel that next week I am going to be a happy man again. I genuinely feel that they're going to move forward and do something good. I hope you are right, sir. Um, I am not... Uh, I, I don't disagree with any of that, but I'm just... You know, like I said, I'm kind of a realist. I, I look at the season we've had so far. I don't... I don't know if just somehow they're going to make this incredible rally... And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it's going to be the best show, you know, of the year or anything. I think yeah. it's more likely that it's going to be one of those cases where at the end of the season, we're saying, you know, yes, it was a better than average detective show that doesn't quite come come close to actually capturing the magic of the first season. Yeah. And then I'll look forward to the third season, you know, so... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, by all accounts, the third season can do whatever the fuck it wants. Pressure's off. Yeah, why not? Yeah, exactly. Why wouldn't you at a certain yeah. point? Um, so yeah. yeah, I think yeah, I'll be I'll be interesting to see. Um, for people out there listening, uh, hopefully we haven't depressed you too much. Put down the razor blade. Step away from the glass of bleach. Do not crush the cyanide pill underneath your tongue. Um, Stay with us because uh, we will have another four 
of these coming over the next four weeks where we will be breaking down season two of True Detective week on week till we come to its inevitable conclusion. Um, in the meantime, if you want to listen to more of myself and Bo, you can listen to Duncan and Bo Come Correct, a show on Legion Podcast Network. Um, I explained what we did at the start of the show. It's a lot of fun. We like to get heavily involved with cinema and um, sometimes the the suggestions are crazy other times are more sombre um, other times are just wacky if you've not listened to the Blood Feast uh, versus uh, Winter Beast episode yet um, which was our end of season one uh, Duncan and Bo come incorrect then I highly recommend that one if you're looking to cheer yourself up after the end of this episode um, but yeah you should you should check that out and like Bo was saying tweet us you can drop some messages on the Legion page um, and let us know what your thoughts are on season 2 of True Detective are you enjoying it more than us have you picked up things that we haven't picked up is there a thread of a story cutting through here that we don't know do you have theories that are even more bizarre than mole people aliens vince vaughn and paul um if so let us know uh you can drop a uh, drop a little comment over on the legion podcast page on facebook but was there anything else you'd like to say before we mosey on out of here no i think you got it uh hit us up at legionpodcast.com tweet at us at uh at legion podcast let you know what you think and i'm, I'm very curious i would love to hear some people offer their uh crazy pants tm theory <laughs> about what is going on on this show um I, I hope I am wrong, but in a, in a, a way I don't think I am. Yeah, so. I'm kind of now. Now you've put that thought in my head, I'm going to be watching episode five very closely, very very closely. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how all this plays out. But uh, um, yeah, yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm solid, Duncan. I've, I'm excited. I'm not like I, I feel like we have we have exorcised ourselves to an extent. <laughs> <laughs> and are now ready to hit uh, see or episode five, fresh, excited, ready to see what True Detective has for us. Yeah, come at me, True Detective. Come at me. Bring uh, it, yes. son. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. I actually can't wait. Uh, so we'll be back in a week's time. Thanks again for all the support. Bo, would you like to say goodbye to our listeners, please? Goodbye, listeners. Uh, take care of yourselves. Speak to you soon. Bye. This has been a Legion podcast. Ooh, quickie.